Thanks for checking out this episode of Business Black Belts. I really appreciate you listening and hope you get some great insights out of today's leader. Let's dive into the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Business Black Belts. I'm thrilled today to have Jay Breeden, the CEO of Nelnet Community Engagement. Jay, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Miles. Great to be here. So like I mentioned, uh, we're going to get into some pretty intense questions about your story and uh, some of your expertise around education and software and entrepreneurship. But I like to start with a layup just to uh, get the ball rolling a bit. So I thought in your own words, if you if you had to describe Jay Breeden in a couple sentences, what would you say? Yeah, you know, when people ask that question, I always kind of hopefully not too morbidly think about what would I want on my tombstone, you know? And uh, I think the tagline that I would love to see would be that Jay was a good and faithful man and he loved his family. Um, family is really important to me. Um, it always always has been, grew up in a really tight-knit family in Kansas City. Um, and, you know, out of that comes a lot of the things that I care about. Um, and I've had a really great opportunity um, over the course of my career to um, use my love of technology to be able to uh, serve a lot of great organizations um, and to, you know, provide for my family and to be able to um, work in technology, which has always really just clicked for me. Um, it's always really just made sense. So I, I love being able to solve problems and to be able to use technology as a, a tool to do that. And it's always impressed me when you look at software entrepreneurs, because I sort of consider myself a, a services entrepreneur with a little bit of middleware I've written to support services, whereas you really are a software entrepreneur of a couple companies. Um, so maybe you could just describe for the audience, what does Nelnet do? What is, what is the portfolio encompass? I know it's pretty cool when you've explained it to me. Yeah, um, Nelnet is an enigma to a lot of people. Um, it's The company started about 25 years ago, primarily in the student loan servicing space. Uh, the, the founders identified an opportunity to partner with the government in providing and servicing higher education loans. And they always took a a mission-based approach, approach to it. Um, the, the goal of the company was to make education dreams possible. Uh, over the course of the last couple of decades, they've identified different opportunities to expand outside of just being a student loan originator and processor and to provide additional services to higher ed and primary and secondary schools. Everything that Nelnet does somehow ties back to education. Um, and so we, the, the company that I joined three years ago was acquired by Nelnet um, in early 2021. Um, and we are, we have built an education technology platform, a learning management system for some of those who may be more familiar with that particular industry. Um, but Nelnet owns a wide portfolio of services companies, of technology companies, of financial services companies, and have kind of blended it all together under the Nelnet umbrella and are continuing to make investments and really expand the portfolio outside of that original line of business. And what's your role in the Nelnet umbrella? My role is to run an organization called Nelnet Community Engagement. Yeah. 
And we have a couple of different platforms uh, that we're responsible for building and maintaining, servicing, um, and ultimately serving the customers that use those platforms. Uh, the first one is the learning platform that I mentioned, and we have customers that are uh, churches, schools, nonprofits, for-profit corporations, professional associations, covers a really wide range of customers there, but they use the platform for things like certification and training for professional development, continuing education, um, badging. There's kind of a lot of different applications for it. We built this platform from the ground up in-house and it's highly configurable, uh, very customizable to the particular application that the organization we're working with wants to use it for. One of the really interesting ways that platform has been used over the last two years is for employee onboarding. When everybody transitioned from being in an office every single day to the vast majority of workforces being virtual and remote, people really struggled with how do we continue to instill the values and culture of our organization to new employees that we're continuing to bring and bring on and um, during the hiring process. So our platform allows you to set up a structured workflow or pathway for those employees to go through an eight to 10 to 12 week onboarding process where they're learning different things about the company, about different systems and tools, about the customer base, about their particular job role or function. And then those can be customized from department to department or team to team. Um, so that's been a really fun thing to watch and to see a lot of our, our corporate customers especially adopt that particular use case of our technology. The other platform that we're responsible for, um, we call internally the impact platform uh, because that's what it was originally built for was to impact organizations and empower them to better engage and connect with their members. Um, so if you can imagine a, a nonprofit organization who probably is using some antiquated tools, probably a lot of spreadsheets, uh, may or may not accept online donations or giving, um, this platform allows you to do all of those things. You can re uh, register new members through the forms technology. You can accept online donations or payments for event registrations. Um, you can engage with outbound communications, um, text messages, push notifications, those kinds of things. And then there's a mobile app that ties it all together that gets branded and white labeled to that particular organization. Um, and so what we're working on after the acquisition here is how we blend all of that together, both the member engagement and the online learning um, so that we're going even further back into, for that nonprofit example, um, if they're bringing on new board members, new volunteers, new staff members, they use the learning platform to be onboarded into the organization, and then they're using all of our other tools to run and, and manage the ongoing operations. Yeah, and it's interesting how there's some similarities in what you mentioned and then some big differences. So you're kind of trying to empathize with, in some cases, a community user, in other cases, an employee user. Um, and it did get me thinking, so is your background more the software development side or more the business side? 
Um, my original background, going all the way back to college days, was I studied chemistry okay. um, and learned a lot there about how to structure and solve problems in a systematic manner. Um, so I would say through that, you know, I learned some coding and software development as you are looking at the ways that different molecules interact. There's some pretty cool software out there that lets you build models of those molecules and measure the interactions and energies between those molecules. And I found that part of my education and, and the labs to be really interesting and um, exciting and kind of decided at that point that at some point, you know, software and technology would be part of my future. Um, I also, during the summer between my junior and senior year, had an internship at Anheuser-Busch and uh, was somewhat miserable. I was working in the new products and quality control lab and kind of decided that if I was ever going to be happy in chemistry and in a career in chemistry, that it was probably there. And that just wasn't the case. So um, Anheuser is an amazing company. Um, I had a, a great opportunity. got to learn a ton of things and see... Um, you know, behind behind the curtains on how they develop new products, but ultimately decided that I wanted to go back to school um, and studied entrepreneurship, which really allowed me to pursue that combination of both technology and business. When I got out of school, I started with Accenture in a consulting role, um, and my first job was doing systems integration work. And that was really where I learned the principles of software development, of data and analytics. Um, I was doing some hands-on keyboard coding. I don't know that I would call myself a talented developer by any means, but I learned enough to be dangerous. And then from there, I moved into different roles and my, kept migrating more towards the, the business and management consulting side. Um, doing a lot of technology strategy product uh, projects where I got to, I think it was really beneficial, you know, as I look back on my career and um, kind of where I started, it was incredibly beneficial to have that foundation and that baseline in what is programming, how does coding work, what are the fundamentals and the basics of that discipline to be able to know what was possible and what could be done or built with technology to be able to apply that to the strategy side of it. So kind of moving you know, up the ladder to where do we wanna be, how are we gonna get there, and then you know, what's, what's possible so that we could propose different solutions um, to help the, the clients that I was working with get to where they ultimately wanted to be. And which really comes first in the chicken and egg? Is it sales or is it product? I know that's a hard part of what you, cause in a service business, you can just change your product. In a product business, you can't really just change it like that. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely spot on there. Um, when building a brand new business from scratch, I think sales has to come first. Um, you really need that revenue to be able to drive the development of the product um, and to be able to continue to grow and expand uh, that the the product capabilities. If you're building a new product within an existing organization and there is some funding for it, then you have a little bit more flexibility and freedom, a little bit longer runway in order to get that product right. 
So it's, it's a slightly different approach based on where the company is at in its life cycle, I think. And for you, what was the transition from smaller business to being acquired where now you probably, you know, I'm imagining much more structure, many more growth targets. Like how, how have you dealt with that pressure personally? <laughs> um, a lot of prayer, meditation, exercise, uh, spending time with family. Um, I tried to try to block a lot of time uh, just to, you know, personally step back and, and reflect on a daily and weekly basis about what's going well and what's not so that we can, you know, make little course corrections. Um, at the time that we were acquired, we were about 17 people small company, very small company, had been bootstrapped by the founders. Um, there were a couple of very small outside investors, but we were really um, responsible and accountable to two co-founders. Um, after being acquired by Nelnet, um, we are now just under 100 people. So it's been pretty rapid growth over the course of the last year. Um, we've put a lot of new people into new positions. And of course, with that comes some growing pains. But um, I think for me personally, one of the things that I've had to rely on and get really, really good at is delegating the responsibilities that I used to have to do all on my own. Uh, as a, having a conversation recently um, with one of my leadership team members about the 20 different hats that I used to wear. And I made the comment that now it's only about five hats on a regular basis. Um, and that has really helped me to get to a place where I feel like I'm, again, able to manage that team and not just, you know, be going from one fire to the next fire, um, trying to put this, put those things out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've noticed the same thing for me. It's a learning experience of, I was telling someone on my team today, realizing that you're actually not the best at everything and realizing even if you are, that if you become the only one who can do it, you can't scale because them uh -huh. doing it on time is better than you doing it better two weeks late. <laughs> uh, but it is a learning. Uh, that, that resonates with me deeply. And it's a hard learning because, um, you know, coming from, a, the consulting world that's very fast paced and pretty cutthroat and you're, you know, always trying to kind of prove your worth to get to the next rung in the ladder. Um, you want to be the best at everything. And um, I'm a pretty competitive and driven person, played a lot of competitive sports growing up. Um, now, team sports, which means that you got to rely on other people, but, you know, you still want to do the best that you can and, and be the best that you can be um, in whatever discipline it is that you choose. Um, coming to that realization that you may not be the best at everything is really difficult and also incredibly freeing because it means that, as you said, you don't have to always have that weight of what's the next thing that I am not doing well that I could or should be handing off to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting skill because it actually is a skill. I think about software as a skill yes. or uh, sales as a skill. Like delegation is one of the biggest skills if you're going to have, a, I mean, 100 people, you just can't do, and you can't do what 99 people can do. <laughs> <laughs> no, certainly cannot. Um, and then also, you know, coaching and, and mentoring and teaching, 
that next layer of leaders to do the same for the people that are on their teams so that it just becomes this multiplier effect that as you continue to get good yourself at delegating, coaching your your next layer of leaders to delegate, everybody's able to do a lot more and the um, some of the parts becomes a lot greater than the whole. Yeah. Now I'm curious for you with 100 employees, do you subscribe to like traction or scaling up or any kind of like framework? Because that's such a fast trajectory. I'm wondering what you've leaned on. Yeah, really, really good question. Um, we have been implementing uh, traction, the EOS model. Um, we we uh, engaged with an implementer, an outside person um, earlier in um, last summer and have seen a lot of really great benefits from that. Um, not to turn this into a, a sales pitch for that particular model, but um, I think one of the, the parts of genius of that model is that it pulls the best practices from so many of the different great business thinkers from Carnegie to Lencioni to um, Jim Collins. There's so many pieces of that framework that are rooted in really, really sound business disciplines. Yeah, I found it's interesting. They all all the books kind of seem to go back to these few key things. Like you have to have values, you have to have a focused list of priorities, say no more than you say yes, and be really persistent about follow-up. And I've found that you can pick the voice, whether you want Vern Harnish on Scaling Up or Gino, they're basically saying the same thing. Um, but I, I think you're right. There's an uh, incredible power in systems. And that was another question I had for you. As you've gotten to this size, everything becomes a system. So what's the importance of you know, iteration or experimentation in a system as it scales? Yeah, um, it's a great question. We, you know, I, I learned a lot from the software development world about agile methodologies of software development. And I try to apply some of those same principles to processes and documentation of processes. Um, for those who aren't familiar with agile development, it means that you are doing very quick, usually one to two week cycles of software development. Um, and you're building out small little chunks, making incremental improvements rather than the sort of older school method, which would require you to go put together tons of documentation, tons of requirements, and then go away uh, proverbially lock the development team in a room for six months, build something and then bring it back to the customer. And at that point, a lot of things have changed and what you've built may not even be what they want anymore. Um, and so I, a lot of those same principles of the software development apply to building systems and processes where you put something in place, you try it out, you test it with customers, um, you test it with your teams, and if something's not working, you just make those small incremental improvements to continuously be improving and continuously be making it more efficient, more effective, more scalable. Yeah, it's such an interesting shift of the way the world used to work of big blocks to now it's just little building blocks on top of it. Um, so I got a couple more questions. Another one I had for you is, 
And I think it's just uh, a really interesting one is within your space of, you know, software, community engagement, learning engagement. Um, is there a belief that you would say, I know I'm putting you on the spot, that you would say you hold that most would consider contrarian? Um, yeah, probably. Um, one of the things that we talk about a lot is that the software has a, and this is a little bit heretical as a software company, the software and tools are great. The software and tools without a great team and great people and great systems and processes and great service behind those tools means nothing. Um, I have watched and followed and interacted and engaged with a lot of different software companies over the years. Um, and the ones that provide a, an outstanding customer experience, not just within the tools, but within the account management function, the support function, um, the handholding that they provide along the way as you're using those tools and really helping you to get beyond just all right, this is a piece of software that I need to use, but to the place where there's some thought leadership and um, some best practices and guidance. And it's, it probably goes back to my consulting days, but you're really acting in an advisory capacity in addition to providing great software. Yeah, I think you're so right. I've, I've found that with so many of them. They're the discipline and the enthusiasm that like Asana has for their product is lost on you after you've downloaded it for two hours. And so what they could provide <laughs> with like, you know, some kind of consulting partner that's not, I think, I, I don't know what you think on this. I think outside partners are, it's a funny concept depending on the type of business. Cause no, like I could say I'm an Asana partner. It's so different than yep. you, Jay, who wrote this stuff. Or someone who's really a part of your octopus node. Um, so that's an interesting insight. Uh, another question I had is, if you could go back to yourself in college uh, and there was one principle about the world that you could instill, okay, just it, like hold on to this principle. What would that principle be? Um, I think that principle would be that and this is just kind of right in, in line with everything that we've been talking about, but um, the, the personal relationships that you build are going to be the primary driver of growth, both personally and professionally. Um, and uh, I think a couple of examples to offer there. Um, I was brought into this company um, to, to help lead and, and grow by the co-founders of the organization who I had gotten to know standing on the sidelines of soccer games 20 years prior. My little brother played soccer with their oldest son and I formed a personal relationship with them on the sidelines of those games um, that led to some mentoring and um, you know, kind of a development of an extended relationship. And 20 years later, that turned into probably my dream job. Um, and there's a lot of different examples of that on, you know, the, the customer side where, you know, we've, we've built very close personal relationships and 
that gives our team a lot of grace when maybe our service isn't up to the level that it should be or our software has some bugs or challenges and you know things new features and functionality functionality that we've developed um, and it really all comes back to how well are you building and maintaining and um, just continuing to invest in those personal relationships. So la last question. Uh, I always love to ask people what they're reading. Um, I know it sounds like you're obviously a consummate learner. Uh, is there a book or two that you've really enjoyed recently? And then the second question is, is there a book all time that you'd say everyone's got to read who's in business? Yeah. Um, the book that I have read recently that I would say has been um, pretty, you know, just world changing for me was um, The One Thing. Um, it's written by the guys who started uh, Keller Williams Real Estate. And we talked about it a little bit as, as we were talking about kind of the company and the growth and where we've been, but it is all about prioritization. And the one thing, the, you know, the very short, short spark notes of that is that you are constantly reassessing your list of things to do and deciding what is the next one thing that is going to provide the most value. And whether that's personally, professionally, for your family, for your business, for a relationship, whatever that might be, um, always reprioritizing and just continuing to reprioritize and reprioritize and reprioritize. Um, so that has been a really good discipline to get into and has really um, helped me to um, survive this <laughs> past couple of, of wild years here. Um, I think all time there is um, a book called The Culture Solution by Matthew Kelly and it lays out a series of principles about how to build a great culture within an organization. Um, and the theory is, you know, some of it kind of ties back to old adages, but the theory around it is you build a great culture based on great values and a good business model. And that leads to a lot of success and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. When you take care of your team, your team takes care of your customers and those customers in turn allow you to continue to grow and scale and reinvest in your product. Um, so that one I think is uh, definitely on the list. Um, and then I've also listened a lot to the work recently of Brene Brown, um, who I think is a, a fantastic thinker and author. Um, she has a great podcast and um, talks with a lot of really strong business leaders, but really digs deep into the psychology of business and, um, and of people and of just human beings. And um, I've taken a lot of things from that, that her work and applied it again, both personally and professionally. So I guess the theme through all of this is that I, I really like to find things that will help me manage my professional work so that I can also 
show up and and be effective and and be good in my personal relationships and you very much feels like take you're very much a, a take the best of the best of Brene Brown the best of Gary Keller and it seems like that just like in software your mind is very good and chemistry I think in your background is very good at taking these building block particles saying oh I really like that feature of that software could that work at in our software I really like that feature and uh, it's it's cool to see like you said that permeates I'm sure your parenting style like a, any number of things in life as you go through it um, yeah well thank you so much for coming on so the last question I have is if anyone wanted to reach out to you uh, for advice to ask a question from the episode is is LinkedIn an appropriate way or how do you normally take those kind of requests yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn is the best way. Um, I think I was uh, pretty early to the LinkedIn game. So it is linkedin.com slash J-A-Y-B-R-E-E-D-E-N. So you got the early name rights. Yeah, you don't have to buy them from someone uh, <laughs> wherever the, they're all accumulating them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoever's buying up those URLs now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Jay, so much for coming on. Uh, certainly your example is someone with a lot less employees and scales inspiring to me, and I, uh, I really look forward to watching your continued progress. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Business Black Belts. Should you want to see more content on both the show, marketing, and business in general, feel free to check out my LinkedIn. Thanks.